Everyone is looking for purpose, for a life that matters, and we want to be a church that helps people find that. This is the Collective Church Podcast from a life-giving and vibrant new church right here in London, Ontario. Here's this past week's message from our pastor, Tyler Fromm. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. My name is Todd. I'm part of the team here at Collective Church. Happy September. Um, it's, it's awesome to see so many, so many faces. As a church, we never know what we're going to get in on a, long, on a long weekend. Typically, we plan for less, but obviously, you see God changes everything, and we see so many faces. So uh, for those of you that are here in person, pleasure to see you. For those of you that are online, pleasure to have you. Um, we have been in a, in a series for the last couple months called Extraordinary. We've been breaking down the book of Proverbs and mining the wisdom that's written in that book. Um, and today is going to be the last uh, sermon in that series, and then we're going to transition into a series based on community, which is exciting for us as a church. We are... Um, this, next, this next series is going to pair well with how we launch our co-groups, and if you're new to Collective, co-groups are gatherings that happen outside of our church. They happen in homes, and they're hosted by different leaders within our, our church where we do life together. So uh, say the date September 18th, they are going to launch, and we really would love if uh, all of you were a part of that. Now, I know um, September can be a crazy month uh, for a lot of people. We have uh, a lot of our families experience kids that are going back to school, and that's a whole hectic, uh, a whole hectic thing. Some of our, some of our uh, professional lives, they ramp up after a more relaxed uh, summer. Um, and as a church family, we, we navigate all those things too, right? We deal with that and we, we navigate through it, but the difference is for us as a church is our commitment to each other is not conditioned on the velocity of our daily rhythms. We don't we don't clock in and then clock out of community. Um, and then when I say as a church that we do, we do life together, that really means we, that we, we walk through life. Our commitment to each other is foundational. There's a great, there's a great quote by um, an author by the name of John Mark Comer. He's a Christian author, and he says that um, if the devil can't reach you spiritually, he'll make you busy. And we feel that within our own lives where we go, how's things going? You go, I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm, I'm busy. So as a church, we stand in firm opposition to the idolization of busy. That's right. Right? As a church, we, we stand firm in opposition to the idolization of productivity. Um, we, we, we reject the lie that a life that is 95% busy and 5% God is sufficient. Our co-groups, um, they meet once a week, like I said, in homes, and they allow for a couple hours for us as a church to, to reconnect, uh, worship, do communion, and wrestle with, are we good? <laughs> wrestle with the things that, that, that life brings us, because as a church family, we want to be more than um, a group of people that just meets on Sundays, right. right? We want to be contending for God's presence every day. Now, for those of you that are in the room or online, I know some of you might be thinking, why is the church doing this now? Like, doesn't the church, under, doesn't the church understand everything that I go, I've, I've got going on? And we go, 
let me reassure you that the answer to that question is a resounding yes. But let me shift your perspective. This is the perfect time to do this because before the trajectory becomes back to school, Thanksgiving, Christmas, we have to take a second and go, 2022 is three quarters over, right? Isn't that a crazy thing to, to recognize? So as a church, we always want to be proactive and we want to act urgently and not reactive. We don't want to react when life throws us a, a curveball. We want to be prepared and we want to be secure. Um, so for the month of September, bear with us. Community will be the center point of our intention. And today we're going to be looking at Proverbs 13, verse 20, which speaks to community-based wisdom. I want to take a look at a few different examples of community in Scripture. Um, but before we do that, let's, let's pray together. <clears throat> Dear God, I just ask in this moment that you come into, the, come into the hearts and the lives of each and every person in this room and online. And God, I just ask that you bind us together. Whether it's someone's first time here at Collective, whether it's, the, it's their first time watching, Lord, I just ask that you remind us that we are meant to do life together and among one another. Lord, remind us that we are one body. We are the church. We are on mission, a mission that you have sent us on. And Lord, I just want to ask that you intervene in this moment of transition where we go into uh, another gear of busy, Lord, I just remind you, I would ask that you remind us what is important, and Lord, I just ask that you remind us that we are all in it together. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> all right, um, Proverbs thirteen twenty reads like this, walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. I'll say that one more time. Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. A verse like this, you read from the surface and you're like, yeah, sure, obviously. Right? There's even secular wisdom that echoes this verse. Maybe you've heard the phrase, you are the sum of the people you spend your time with, which speaks to this um, speaks to the strength that our environments have to mold and shape us. But God is more specific in this verse. He says, walk with the wise and become wise. Notice that God is always inviting us into something, and then he describes the consequence. Most of Proverbs is written like this, where God goes, here's the invitation, or you can do this, which leads to this. Within this verse, we see the call to action, walk with the wise, not text the wise every now and then, <laughs> right? Not, 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 not make small talk with the wise, not sit with the wise at church. He says, walk with, do life with, move with the wise. And today I want to look at a few uh, communities in the Bible that do a lot of walking. <laughs> First, I want to talk about the Israelites. For those of you that are unfamiliar, the Israelites are the Jewish people. I'm going to use those terms kind of interchangeably, but no, they mean the, the same thing. They are recognized in the Bible as God's chosen people. They are descendants of Abraham, and he's a man that God promised that an abundant nation would come from his lineage. This circles back to the promise that um, God made in Genesis 12:3, where he says, all families of the earth will be blessed through you, and notice how God uses community to bless people in this verse, which is reassuring for us. However, the majority of the Old Testament, we see that although God has a plan for 
people, God's appointed leaders and the Jewish people, they often do what so many characters in the Bibles do. They try things their own way, they disobey, and then they fall short. They fall short of God's will. In the book of uh, Exodus, we meet a man named Moses. Okay, and Moses is an interesting character. He's born of a Jewish mother, and as a baby, he's put into a basket, and he's sent down a river as a last resort option by his mother to save his life. At the time, the Jewish people, they're enslaved in Egypt, and it was normal, it was, it was normal for the pharaoh of Egypt at the time to murder Jewish children as a way to control the population, right? And it would, it get, it would get to a point where the amount of Jews would make the pharaoh nervous, so on a regular basis, he would, he would order that Jewish children be put to death, right? And Moses, Moses is one of these children. He's sent down a river in a basket, by, and he's found by the pharaoh's daughter. And instead of having Moses killed, he's actually brought into um, Egyptian royalty. He's raised by that community. He's embraced by the oppressing Community, And I want to make sure I give context to this because most of us know Moses as the man who delivers the Jewish people out of Egypt, but it's important to remember that he actually belongs to two different community. he's bo- communities. He's born out of Jewish descent, but he's raised Egyptian, right? Moses ends up growing up, and he, he runs out of Egypt after accidentally killing an Egyptian soldier. Soldier? Soldier? Egyptian soldier, <laughs> Egyptian, soldier, Egyptian soldier who's beating on a Jewish slave. And this moment is critical for Moses because it represents this, this eruption, this tension of him not being able to reconcile his identity. He goes, am I of these people or am I of these people? So he runs. He runs to a place called Midian. And he's embraced by the people there. He gets married settles down, and he becomes a shepherd, and he lives there for 40 years, 40 years. I love, I love, reading, the, I love reading the Bible and just seeing the humility in a lot of the characters, because you go, um, Moses says, here we have a man who's so conflicted with his identity, and he does what a lot of us people would probably do. He goes, I need to get as far away from here as possible, and I need to build a new identity that best suits me, right? <clears throat> I need to re- invent myself until one day, of course, God finds Moses, <coughs> which is reassuring for us because typically we go, for us we go, okay, the further I just get away from this, the, the less I have to deal with my past, right? But God finds Moses and um, <laughs> inevitably, so God calls on Moses through a, a burning bush while Moses is tending to his sheep. And at this point, we have to go, okay, Moses is probably pretty content, right? Like he's ran away, he's settled down, he's married, and he's lived within a new community within, for, for 40 years. Um, <clears throat> but throughout this 40 years, God's people are still being enslaved, right? Children are still being put to death. God hears the cries of his people, and what is he, and God does then what he, he does best. He employs the meek and the unconfident to do his work. God calls on Moses to to lead a rebellion against his former Egyptian family, and you can imagine how terrified Moses must have been. First, he's being called on by God, 
Right? Second, he has to lead a rebellion. And third, he has to stand opposed to a family that once loved him. But he's been settled for 40 years. Remember, he's been settled for a while. So Moses reacts like most of us would react. He replies to God and he says, uh, are you sure? <laughs> right? He protests God. He says, who am I? Who am I to do this? He's frustrated and he's afraid. But God promises this. He says this specifically. He says, I have chosen you and shall be with you. And then Moses says, but who's going to watch the sheep? And God says, if you don't get to Egypt right now, I swear you're never going to see a sheep again. <laughs> I'm just playing. He doesn't say that. But you can imagine, you can imagine, right? Like, I, I, I picture this sometimes. You go, like, God is speaking. We as humans, we go, God says, do you understand? <laughs> right? For us, we wouldn't, we wouldn't fathom. But this is the reality of what's written. He's, um, Moses is terrified. But we see that God delivers uh, wisdom to Moses. God walks with Moses as he remains obedient. Moses remains obedient while God sends plagues down on Egypt. And at this point, it's a battle of wills between Pharaoh and God. Moses says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no. You and your God, you, you do as you wish. Which for most of us, we go... Most of us wouldn't think twice about bringing consequences on our enemies, but for Moses, it's different, right? This is his community, and he has to watch as God wreaks havoc on these Egyptian people. So for him, we have to go, his heart must have been breaking, right? This is his former family. However, the result of Moses obeying God, doing so allows God to... to to use his mighty power, power through him. And alongside God, Moses is able to defeat Egypt and he delivers God's people out of slavery. For most of us, we go, that's success. Now, however, here we see the, the tug of war between the, the human condition and God's provision. Once the Jewish people are delivered from Egypt, what do they do? Right. They walk with Moses, who's being led by God through the desert, but slowly but surely, the Jewish people, they start to unravel, right? It takes them three days to get from Egypt to Mount Sinai, which is the place that God initially spe speaks to Moses. And the Jewish people, they just end up complaining a lot of the time, right? They, uh, God blesses them with, with food and water along the journey, um, but they still end up saying things like, hey, we were better off enslaved, they say, hey, we should go back, which sounds crazy, but sometimes we do this too. Uh, we start following God after he's delivered us, and we go, man, things were easier before. We look behind us. <clears throat> sometimes we look behind us and we remember what life, uh, we remember a life that felt like it was easier and more abundant. Maybe we start to think of the people that maybe we used to associate with, who seem to maybe feel like they're happier than us, <clears throat> and we doubt whether or not this whole walking with God thing will, will turn out the way that we hope. But an important thing for us to point out is that although the Jewish people are known as God's chosen, chosen, <laughs> chosen people, um, they really are foolish. Like, they have, they have these foolish moments. 
Um, they're self-indulgent, and we'll, we'll see this on, soon on full display. Once Moses leads the Jewish people to Mount Sinai, he disappears into the mountain with God for 40 days. Okay? And during that time, God appears to provide Moses the Ten Commandments, which is the blueprint of wisdom for the Jewish people. And <clears throat> during that, so Moses then comes down with the commandments hand in hand, and he finds the Jewish people worshiping pagans and committing sinful acts with one another. Moses leaves the Jewish people for a few days, and it's like they've completely forgotten about God. God says fools get in trouble, and that's, what, that's exactly what the Israelites do. They, they are the fools in this scenario. It's this constant back and forth of going, walking with God, and then disobeying, which leads to consequences. God punishes the, the Israelite people by prolonging them from entering the, the promised land. They're sent to wander the desert for 40 years. You're 40, 40 years, that's a lot of walking. <clears throat> Uh, it's not until the next generation of Israelites um, are born that they're finally able to access the, the promised land, which is depressing when you think about it, because you go, for the majority of the people that were enslaved at the time, made their way out, most of them probably never made it. They probably never made it to the promised land where they were supposed to go. It's not until the next generation that they do. <clears throat> and what's interesting is I was, as I was researching this story um, I learned that it was actually God's plan to bring the Israelites to the promised land from Mount Sinai in 11 days. 11 days. And that got prolonged as they, but that got prolonged as, as they disobeyed and then they suffered. Um, for those of you wondering, like I said, God eventually did bring them back to the promised land, eventually. Um, but in complete irony, <laughs> we find Moses in his old age is also disobedient. And it's the most ridiculous thing. God commands Moses to speak to a rock, to bring water from it, and then Moses goes and strikes the rock with a staff. And you read that and you go, you know how sometimes you go like, man, you had one job. <laughs> you had one job and you just had to do this and for some reason he does this. And it's sad because, you know, that decision actually bars, it actually bars Moses from entering the promised land. He sits, he has to sit on the outside and watch the Jewish people go in, and then he dies at the age of 120 years old. It's a bittersweet ending to that story. Moses does some monumental things walking alongside God, but then he fumbles in the end. In the Old Testament, we see that God uses multiple leaders to lead his people. He uses Moses to deliver them from Egypt. After Moses dies, he uses a man named Joshua. And then after that, we meet King David and then Solomon after King David. Um, but we learn that even as we read scripture, that even God's leaders have moments of weakness. And those weaknesses have consequences. But most, most often they occur when they are disconnected from community um, and from God. Right? And we see this reoccurring theme in Scripture where God is confronted with our selfishness. But God is so loving that he doesn't control our autonomy, our ability to make choices. He never gives up on us. We just live, if the con we just live with the consequences if we don't follow him. 
<clears throat> this should really put into perspective the amount of patience that God has for us and that we need to model that, and we, in, which can be incredibly frustrating. It, can you imagine if you were God and you just constantly see your plans again, again and again and again being ruined by humans? Most of us can go back to the drawing board like a couple times, right? <clears throat> Um, but for God, he never, he, never gives up, he never gives up on us, which is a reminder that as a community, we can't allow ourselves to give up on each other. As I read the Bible, I, I, I come across stories of, of people who do magnificent things um, with God, and, and those people also wrestle with their imperfection. But it's reassuring for us to read Scripture and go, anything that we're dealing with is not unique. Right? It's been done before, and oftentimes it's been done to a much worse degree, but we have the blueprint, right? We have the Bible, and we have the examples that are written in the Bible of the mistakes that were made prior to that we can learn from. It's that difference between aspiration and, and application where we go, <clears throat> um, the action has to follow the understanding, right? And our co-groups are set up this way where we go, let's learn together, and apply together and then stumble together because we won't always get it right, but we always come back to each other and then we just try again. God says, walk with the wise and find wisdom. His wisdom, that word walk is intentional. It's a verb, in case you didn't know. <laughs> um, because I don't, know, I don't know anyone who defaults to wisdom. You think about like different uh, difficult situation comes up and you're like, I've been stewing on this wisdom my whole life <laughs> for this exact moment. Wow. No, it doesn't work like that. Wisdom is typically acquired two different ways. You can go, you can go through something enough times to the point where you master it, right? Or you can learn it. It can be given to you by someone else, right? In the former just so we're aware, normally takes a lot of failure and a lot of pain. So for us, we go, like, you know, let's work smarter, not harder. I'd rather learn from someone and have them teach me. Now, notice in this verse that God never says, those who aren't wise don't deserve our love. Right? He describes the unwise as fools. And he uses this, this word fool uh, a lot in Scripture. But for us interpreting it, it's important for us to recognize that you can have a few different types of fools, right? You can, have, um, you can have a fool who is maybe uneducated, right, or arrogant. You know, we think of that, maybe that family member at Thanksgiving that says something inappropriate, right? Like we all, we all might know someone like that. <clears throat> um, and this is correct, and it shouldn't be dismissed. That's a type of fool, but what's most, more important to recognize is that in Scripture, God is speaking to the fool that knows better, knows what they should do, and then does the opposite thing, right? Like the Israelites who were saved by God, they got to witness God deliver them firsthand, but they still thought, this pig statue, though, this gold pig, <laughs> this deserves the glory, <laughs> right? Makes no sense. <clears throat> um, but for us as Christians, that should, be a red, that should be a red flag for us. Not only does the Bible give us a plan to reference? We have all these accounts of mistakes we can learn from. And with, the, with these resources, we can go, um, 
we get to know a better way, a wiser way to live, and we get to choose how we want to follow, which can be difficult, especially when God's agenda doesn't match up with our understanding. It's important for us, even as, even as the church, to recognize that we'll only ever lead to the degree that we're able to surrender our way for God's way. Right. You, know, you know what's funny about, funny about leadership? I was reading in the book of Kings a few months back. Um, and for those of you that don't know, the book of Kings is like a, it's, it describes the lineage of kings that ruled after Solomon uh, passed away. <clears throat> and a lot of the chapters, they start like this. So-and-so died, and Heshelech became king. And he ruled for many years, and he did not do what was pleasing in God's eyes. Okay? Next chapter starts like this. After Heshelech died, Mohitech became king. He ruled for many years. Years And like his father, Heshelech, he did not do what was pleasing in God's eyes. Okay? And then every now and then you get one of these. After Mohetek dies, <laughs> Reshalam became king. He ruled for many years, and he did do what was pleasing in God's eyes. And then he was murdered. <laughs> Who knows why? <laughs> That's... It's a lot of what happens, which is, really, which is encouraging for us, right? We go, man, this thing is not looking good. <clears throat> I apologize for butchering those Hebrew names. You try and read some of these names in the Bible. They are not, they're not easy. But my point, my point is that it's important for us to know that following God is not, is not easy. There is a cost. There's always a cost. And sometimes we do this thing as the church where we fundamentally, we know, okay, Jesus died for our sins. He paid the highest cost for us to deliver us. But if we're not careful, sometimes as the church we go, yeah, Jesus did all the work. Like he died so I could be comfortable. That's what, that's what it means, right? We don't know. That's a lie. When Jesus preaches the, the sermon on the mountain, he gives his disciples the ultimate mission. He tells them to go and represent a new way of living, an alternative social Order. This is what he means when he says, go be salt and light. Light representing the way of righteousness and wisdom, and salt being the preservation of God's will. And notice this mission is given to all his disciples. It's not given to one individual person. They, as a collective, a community, are asked to do this. We are asked to do this. But in order for God to have his will, we have to confront ourselves, right? We have to confront what we want and choose what God wants, unlike the Israelites. Now, what's interesting is the Hebrew, the Hebrew meaning for, for um, the word Israelites actually means uh, God contending. It means to wrestle with. It means to wrestle with God, which is reassuring for us when we think about how um, how foolish the Israelite people were, but we, we are also those people, right? We are selfish and we are self-indulgent. We, we, we romanticize the idea of um, community as long as it fits into our schedule, right? And for each of us, community will cost something. Maybe it's your time or your energy or your privacy. But I want to remind you that it's okay to let go sometimes. 
especially when what you're holding on to doesn't really serve you. There's a, there's a story in the Bible of a rich young ruler who is desperate to follow Jesus, and he approaches Jesus and he says, <clears throat> what do I have to do to follow you? What is the key? Jesus says, sell all your possessions and give your wealth to the poor. And then the man, all, he gets overwhelmed and he starts weeping. Um, and we go, that stronghold wasn't hard for Jesus to call out, right? But for us, the story rings true, even if we're, even if we're not rich. It's the class, classic, follow me and let go. But most of us do this thing like Moses, where we go, are you sure? Right? <clears throat> the alternative, like the verse says, says, we can associate with fools, people who don't know any better. And again, don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with those people, but God just says, I wouldn't recommend it. Wouldn't recommend you follow those people. But here's the catch. Following God, um, or sorry, not following God and turning back will always, always be the easier option. Always. It would always be more convenient to turn from God than to walk with him. And the sad part is the devil will do everything in his power to convince you to turn the opposite way. Not walking with God will be easier. It'll be more pleasurable. It'll be more rewarding. But here's the catch. In the short term. In the short term, it'll be that. <clears throat> Which is the ultimate temptation because as broken people, we are conditioned to want things right now. <laughs> right? That's why as the church, we fight for the alternative. We fight for community. We fight for eternity. And we stand together as one body, arm in arm in opposition because Jesus uh, because we know that Jesus' promises are eternal, right? They're beyond the short term. But will we trust what we can't see with our vision? If God says, follow me and find fulfillment in the long term, and the devil says, follow me and find satisfaction today, will we settle? Right? We can't. Right? We can't do it on our own, though. In the book of Genesis, God explains that after he created Adam, he created a, a helper so he wouldn't be alone. And this favor from God reminds us that although it was just one other person, it was God's design that we live among others. Right? In the book of Acts, Jesus explains how the Holy Spirit will eventually come and empower his disciples <clears throat> to make disciples of nations. Um, and we are on that same mission now where we go to be in community and reach communities who don't know Jesus and spread the good news. God designed us to live among each other, and Jesus commanded that we love one another as he loved us, which was his ultimate command. He prayed that his disciples would unite and become one body, the church. The book of Acts describes the early church, which... Um, and what that looked like after Jesus conquered death and, and ascended into heaven. And for us, we, we model ourselves after that and what the early church represented because that's what God intended. <clears throat> and to give you some context, the early church, they regularly ate together, they prayed together, shared stories together, worshiped together, served the community together, and spread the word of God together. They gathered in homes and they shared communion and they celebrated what Jesus did for them. And that's our goal. As a church, that's our goal, to walk with each other while walking with God. If you're in the room and the idea of community frightens you, 
Let me encourage you to step into that tension. Don't turn away. Come talk to us. Join a co-group. As a church, we are united in mission to reach people in our neighborhoods, city, country, and beyond. And we want you to be a part of that mission, too. Let this be your invitation. Like I mentioned, this entire month will be centered on community. We will be planting these, these seeds all month and beyond. And the reason, the reason is not to fill more seeds on Sunday. It's because we love you too much to let Sundays be as good as it gets. Let's pray together, and then we'll, we'll worship. <clears throat> Dear God, I'm so thankful for each and every person in this room and online, God. I just ask <clears throat> again, Lord, that you empower us to reach out for one another and be one church together. Lord, again, I just ask that you remind us that we are on mission. Lord, I ask that you um, give us incredible courage and strength to um, be, to display radical hospitality, Lord, as we open up our homes for, for, his pe- for your people and um, <clears throat> the people that don't know you. God, I just ask that you uh, empower us to do that well. And Lord, I just ask that each and every person who's experiencing maybe some hurt or heartache or trouble or crisis or trauma, that you intervene and connect those people with other people in this room who need to reach you, Lord. Empower us to do your will. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like more information on Collective Church, find us on social media at This Is Collective Church or reach us on our website, collectivechurch.ca. Thank you for listening, and we hope to see you Sunday.